I'm Kim Grinolds of Dogman.com with Scott Eklund, Chris Fetters. Time for another edition of Dogman Radio. Basketball soon. You're recording this on Tuesday afternoon and game on Wednesday at 4 o'clock, is it, Chris? Yes, 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock Wednesday against Utah. If they lose that game, season is over. If they win that game, then they will play Thursday night against number – is USC number one ranked or two in the – they're number three. three. Yep. Okay. They'll move on and play USC and then the off season goes a little bit crazy and we can talk about that a little bit. Also, uh, we'll touch bases on Puka Nakua leaving and going to BYU. A couple of transfers announced at University of Washington, a third one possibly on its way. Spring ball not that far out and a couple of decommits here a while ago that we can talk about as well. But let's just go ahead and touch bases on basketball and get that one through the door. But uh, it's been a long season, Chris. The team's definitely got better and expecting a lot of shakeup in the off season. So I think it's going to be a really, really intriguing off season and we will see what happens. But, uh, Utah game coming up Wednesday night. I think they have a good shot to win that, but the USC game, if they're able to win, I think it's going to be tough. Definitely tough. I mean, USC is a, a really bad matchup for them, especially inside with the Mobleys. Um, but yeah, they got to get past Utah first and, you know, the first game they played at Utah back in the very beginning of December, lost by 14. And, of course, that was coming off back-to-back really bad losses to Baylor and UC Riverside. So it it really looked bad until they were able to come back home. And then once they were able to come back home, get some practices in, that's when they were able to, to really do a, a nice job against Seattle. Ended up winning by 32. So they lost their first time against Utah, but then they came back when Utah played in Seattle they came back and won 83-79, and by that time, they had complete, completely gone from their full 2-3 Syracuse-based zone to this matching zone where it looks a lot more like man-to-man. Um, and they've had some, some some success with it. I mean, they've won four games with it in Pac-12 play and, uh, you know, still nowhere near where they need to be uh, in talking to Mike Hopkins uh, on Monday. But, uh, yeah, I think I think – Utah is a good matchup for them first round, and I think they have every opportunity to 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 beat them. And who knows, they might be uh, without their point guard, Ryland Jones. That's what uh, Mike Hopkins said. And uh, but they still have plenty of guys in Allen and Plummer and Hanson and um, and some of those guys. They're they're just really they're a very well balanced team. Can shoot it well from outside. They can definitely get hot. Um, and obviously well coach with, uh, with Larry Kostoviak. So yep. good game, good game to set up for tomorrow, Pac-12, uh, tournament. And then hopefully if they get a chance to play USC, maybe they can pull a shocker. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. They should be fresh, but fresh because they've been off a while. So, uh, we'll see if the rust has set in a little bit with them not being able to play because when, how long has it been, Chris? Has it been a week and a half? Well, yeah, their last game was February 27th, and so they've had a number of days off. But, again, you know, we asked Coach Hopkins about the rest versus rust argument, and he really felt because they had played eight games in 16 or 17 days that they really, really needed to to refresh themselves mentally as well as physically. Um, They've been able to get a few practices in and then take another break, quick break, and then get a few more practices in. So they've been trying to stagger some things. But, you know, he made the point and it's, and it's, and he's correct when he says this, that, you know, at this point you are who you are. You're not going to be reinventing the wheel in 10 days. 
So, you know, they just really need to focus on this match defense that they've uh, put together. I think they've done a better job with it. Obviously, at the end of the season, um, that first game against Arizona State, notwithstanding, they've done a, a pretty good job, um, you know, implementing it and kind of getting the guys to really buy into it. And and he credits the, the players for really uh, staying strong and, and sticking with the program even when things were really going south and, and, um, a credit to them, but clearly it's been an awful season. But if they can salvage some things in these next couple of games and, and beat Utah and, and, and give USC a, a run for their money, that could be a positive end to, to really what has been an awful season. And, and they need all the positives they can get going into the offseason. We'll touch bases more on basketball once the season is over. So, um, like I said, keep an eye on basketball hoops and we'll see what changes occur. I, I'd be shocked if there wasn't two or three transfers in. I'd be shocked if there wasn't some changes off the court as well. So it's going to be an interesting and intriguing off season. But Scott Eklund, a couple of decommits here recently with Sir Mills and Anthony Jones, a couple of guys that maybe committed a little bit too early. Yeah, I think that was kind of the the gist of things after talking to both of them uh, after they decommitted. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with them just getting caught up in the moment. They were up. They loved Seattle. They loved the program. They really liked the coaching staff. And, and there's been some changes since they committed. They committed to Washington on, I think it was – New Year's Eve day or New Year's Eve, something like that. I, I can't remember, but it, it was right at the end of, of, uh, December and they make a commitment and then all hell kind of breaks loose because Pete Kwiatkowski ends up, uh, taking a job at Texas. And so the, the defensive coordinator that they thought they were signing on with, it was no longer there. Uh, Ikaika Malloy moved to outside linebackers. That was supposed to be. Uh, Sir Mel's position coach and now it's Rip Rowan and I think they just wanted to take a step back and and see what's happening and see what see what the team looks like I, I did talk to Sir Mel's pretty in depth and he told me hey I still love Washington they're still my top school but I want to see what the program looks like this fall when when they have a full season and coach Gregory gets a chance to call the call the defense I want to see what that looks like and and I also want to see what else is out there? Because I made a commitment way too early, and and I think it's just better that I open it up and take some visits, and Washington can recruit me, or they can recruit other people, and and then if things work out, I'll be I'll definitely be back because not a lot has changed with my interest in Washington. It just I I just think it was too early, and I think that was the theme for both of those guys. Yeah, and it just seems like Scott that you know things are changing with the pandemic and everything, and there's light at the end of the tunnel where. Washington, you know, and a lot of schools, you know, have commitments and guys who sign letter of intent and scheduled to be on campus who never even got to take official visits. But, you know, right now there was a lot of talk about, you know, hey, just make a commitment and secure your spot. But I've got to imagine at some point it has to happen that kids and recruits will be able to take official visits at some point. Um, you know, and I, I think the, the kids with early commitments, once it, things start opening up and they're able to take official visits, I expect things to change quite a bit in recruiting, not just the University of Washington, but throughout the country. Yeah, I mentioned it in my blog yesterday on Monday and basically said the same thing what you just said, Kim. The 2021 kids, one of the reasons a lot of us thought that that was going to be the year of the decommit 
was because I don't think we expected the NCAA to extend the dead period like they did. And they kept extending it and extending it and extending it. And eventually it got to the point where it was past signing day. These kids haven't taken visits or if they have, it's been very few uh, to very few schools and they secured their commitments so early in the process because they were a little nervous about where things were headed with the pandemic. I think that and with none of them being able to go visit other schools, it was really hard to get kids to flip. And so this is the year when I think we could see that if things do open up. Last day right now scheduled for the dead period um, is uh, May 31st. Um, so things, at least on at this point in time, obviously we're what uh, three, you know, almost three months away from this. But June, June 1st is supposed to be when things open up again and kids can at least take visits to campuses. I don't think you'll see coaches get out on the road very much, but kids will be allowed to go on campuses and see things and and meet with the coaches and and visit and take tours and all those different things that can make a huge impression. And that's really when you're going to see some of these early commits that have happened you're going to see some of these kids go i i'm i don't think i'm ready to really sign with that school i'm going to open things back up i think you're going to see this a lot more i think things are going to uh, be a lot more in flux since 2021 kids were starting their junior days uh and had been to a few junior days by the time the pandemic hit and they had all the lockdowns 2021 kids unless they they happen to make a a trip out to a school you know, before the pandemic, most of them haven't even been able to get out and see schools at this point. So um, I think it's I think you're going to see a lot more kids decommit and it's going to be a really wild and crazy summer and, and early part of the fall as long as things are opening up like we think they're going to. Hey, Scott, back uh, when there was just one signing day, the big visit week always seemed to be that second weekend or third weekend in um, December. And that's when it got crazy, and there was a lot of kids in on visits. Do you anticipate that same maybe atmosphere the first couple of weeks of June at a lot of schools? Um, I I don't uh, not at this point, only because I I think that a lot of a lot of these kids um, they will take official visits. I'm assuming they're going to open up official visits for kids to take, so they can take them in the summer. Because what was it? I think it's we were in year either two or year three of kids being able to take visits in the spring. I think it was like uh, April 15th to June 15th or the end of June. I can't remember when the exact dates were, but that that was when they started allowing to do that. And that was just a couple of years ago that they've been doing that. I still think, Kim, you're probably going to see kids take more official visits during the season so they can see a football game in person. And I, I'll tell you what, the Pac-12, if they don't open up some of these stadiums, and I'm not saying you have to put them 75, 100% capacity, you know, or anything like that, but you got to have some fans in the stadiums because if these recruits show up at games and there's 25,000 people and the atmosphere will be obviously better than it was this year for games, but it can't be what it usually is. And then, then when you go down south, when Texas has already said they're planning on a full stadium, Alabama has already said they're planning on full stadiums and, and those states are opening, opening up like, like crazy. And, and I'll tell you what, that's just going to be more of a, more of a crippling effect on the recruiting efforts of Pac 12 football programs if they, if they don't allow programs to at least have some people in the stands. So, um, I imagine you'll probably see people in the stands. How much? Eh, it's hard to say, but uh, man, I 
I, I think you're still going to see, want to see these kids are going to still want to get out and see these stadiums, see these game, you know, these teams in action and, and get a feel for the game day atmosphere. And so no, Kim, to answer your question, I don't think it's going to be as crazy in June as it has been. Although if some of these kids get scared that they won't be able to take official visits, maybe that's when you'll see, you know, because things might go in lockdown again. Um, you know, I, I could see maybe that increase, but at this point in time, no, I don't think that's going to happen. And Chris, I think one of the things that's going to be real interesting as well is come September when high school football is going to start in a lot of places and guys who have offers, guys who don't have offers where there might be some schools that have taken commitments from kids and then they see their high school film you know, where they're playing actual football games and they may have second thoughts and then there may be some kids jump on the scene. So I think starting in September, it could get a little wild and crazy out there as well. Yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with with Scott in the sense that I, th- I think there's going to be a ton of movement starting if they do open things up first of June because, you know, there's been so much in terms of backlog of guys that want to visit, whether it's 22 class, 23 class, what have you. That, and, and we, you know, with official visits, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if a ton of official visits start coming down the pike early. I, I think that could happen too because of what Scott just mentioned. If for some reason things do get shut down, I think guys are literally going to say, look, it opens up. I'm going to take my first opportunity, bird in hand. Uh, it, not first opportunity in the sense of I'm going to go to the place I get to visit. But I think in terms of setting up official visits so that they go, they get as much information as they can possibly get right away so that at the very least, in worst case, if things get shut down again, they at least have a foundation and some firsthand observations when it comes to the schools that they're really, really interested in. That's why I suspect a lot of schools are going to follow suit, and if they can try to get guys in for official visits starting 1st of June, I think they're going to try to really load up on them if they're smart because I think this is an opportunity where you really have to take advantage, and I think Washington was late to that last year. I think they thought that things were going to open up. I agree with Scott in terms of we thought this was going to be the year, 2020 was going to be the year of the decommit because of that, and it never came to pass because the dead period kept getting extended. Now it's almost like, you know, second time, shame on me. If you don't proactively go after these guys and set up official visits right when you can, I think you may end up losing out. Scott, has recruiting changed under Jimmy Lake? Would um, Chris Peterson, and I'm not trying to disparage Jimmy in any way, but uh, would Chris Peterson have taken commitment from Sir Mel's and Anthony Jones and would things maybe be a little different or they would have played out the same? I don't, I don't know because, well, let's just put it this way. Chris Peterson did not like to take commitments from kids who had never visited the school. Well, guess what? They visited the school. Anthony Jones and Sir Mel's visited the school. They visited the area. They hung out. They got to do a lot of different things. I think Chris Peterson probably would have been able to keep them in the boat or, or I'm sorry, probably would have taken a commitment, but cause the only guy that I remember, uh, during Chris Peterson's time and someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was only Ty Jones was the only person that Chris Peterson took a commitment from during his time at the university of Washington. Um, 
that hadn't visited the school, and we saw how that all played out because Ty Jones opened things back up before he ended up recommitting to the University of Washington. So, um, you know, I, I think Jimmy Lake is going to be more aggressive, and maybe he does take a commitment or two from guys, but I don't think Sir Mel's and Anthony Jones are guys to really point out as examples of that because they did visit the school, and and I think Chris Peterson probably would have ended up com- taking commitments from them, but uh, obviously that's – you know, just guess. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, the number of decommits under Chris Peterson was just—I mean, it was shockingly low. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was really low. But uh, you know, uh, transfers. You know, when we're talking about you know what's going on out there, Puka Nakua leaving, going to BYU. But Washington today announced uh, two guys have been added to the roster. So, uh, Chris, talk about those guys a little bit. Well, uh, Jalen Polk from Texas Tech who is a former high school teammate of incoming running back Caleb Berry. Uh, they both played at Lufkin, Texas. And so Jalen Polk played as a f- true freshman last year for Texas Tech. I think he was third or fourth leading receiver, but he put up decent numbers, caught a number of balls, uh, was only featured in a handful of games, but but seemed to really show some promise in those games. And then uh, Jeremiah Martin, who's a, a name that a lot of uh, fans familiar with Washington recruiting over the years will remember he was looking really heavily at Washington at the end of his high school campaign before uh, eventually signing with Texas A&M. And so now he's actually coming to Washington as a senior. He's a three-year letterman at Texas A&M. So he'll have at least a year, maybe two. I don't, I think just, just the one year, uh, maybe an extra. No, he'll, he'll have two. He has two. Is he, is it two, yeah. two for one or two for two? Uh, t- uh, two for, or two, three years to play two. Okay. Because so last year didn't count. Last year didn't count. Right. So you get, he gets, the, he gets the bonus year this year and then his, his kind of, I guess, official senior year would be in 2022. So, and, and he was a really highly coveted defensive end. I don't remember the stats off the top of my head, but they were pretty unreal. Uh, his senior year at, uh, Cajon High School down in Southern California. I think he had like 25, 30 sacks or something. It was some, Absolutely monstrous number. So he comes in, he's 6'5", 260, um, you know, kind of in that Tryon, Zion, Tupola, Fatui mold of, of a really good athlete that just needs to get coached up, gets technique, uh, you know, put in and, and just, you know, really kind of gets involved in the system. And I think he has a chance to be a really good player in Washington system based on what they want to do. Um, and, and Jalen Polk again with, uh, with Puka Nakua leaving, with Jordan Chin leaving, with Ty Jones leaving. This is an opportunity for them to, to get one back from the portal. And again, a, a really young kid. He's got five years to play four. So he's almost like coming in as a, as a freshman, which is, which is nice because he, not very often do you get to do that with a kid that has SEC level experience, but, uh, they've got one in Jalen Polk. And what's interesting, Scott, is, you know, I, I talk more about this than anybody. Probably a lot of the times it's about opportunity and situation. And it sounds like the situation changed a little bit with Jeremiah Martin, where the defense switched and maybe wasn't um, really geared to his strength and just getting into a system where they would use him different because he wasn't real productive at Texas A&M, but just getting in a different system, uh, you know, where it features his strength. He's a kid that definitely has a high upside in a yeah, different he, defense. 
athletically, he's exactly he's a perfect fit in Washington's in Washington's system. So um, I some some thought that maybe he lost a little bit of that um, a little bit of that his quick twitch athleticism when he gained, when he gained a bunch of weight from high school and then by the time he got to school at, at Texas A and M and he's been working on getting used to that uh, doing different stretching different lifts that to help his core and things like that. Um, he's a guy that, that you got to bring in because what is the biggest key when you have a defense It's getting pressure on the quarterback. That's what you got to do. And he's been able to do that. You know, he did it in high school. Chris, you mentioned 25, 30 sacks. He actually had 30 sacks and something like 36 tackles for loss his senior season. So it was, it was ridiculous. The numbers he put up at Cajon high school and, and then he gets out to Texas A&M and, just doesn't feel feel like he fits into the system that they're running, and and I think uh, the change of scenery is probably going to be pretty good for for him. I I think there's something to be said for a guy coming in when he's 18 as opposed to a guy who's almost 21 coming into the University of Washington. He's got a kid, he's got a girlfriend that's going to be up here with him too. He's playing for their future, not just his future. He's playing for their future. And I think I think we're going to see a different iteration of Jeremiah Martin now than the one that was down at, Col- at uh, College Station. You know, those two transfers were announced today, but Scott is uh, very likely we could see a third transfer uh, here pretty quick. Yeah, something's brewing. Um, if you guys have been over on the recruiting board, every time I hear something that could be happening or is expected to be happening soon, I put out a something's brewing. Well, I put out some some possibly good news, uh, some possible good news brewing. Um, earlier in the, I guess it would have been late last week, I, I heard that uh, uh, Brendan uh, Radley Hiles, he goes by Bookie. So Bookie Radley Hiles, uh, a kid who was at – Oklahoma and had played quite a bit in the Oklahoma secondary the past couple of years. He, uh, he, um, is in the portal and wash sounds like Washington's gonna got a great chance to be the destination for him. I think we could hear something as soon as later today or possibly as over the weekend, but it's gotta be soon because he's planning to get up here for the start. Uh, well to wherever he ends up, but if, if he ends up at Washington, he needs to get up here for the start of spring football and uh, it sounds like if it's going to happen, it'll happen here in the next four to five days. Um, but yeah, talented kid. Sounds like he's a very aggressive kid. And uh, he was a was he a top fifty player, Chris? It, it, I don't know if you've done the research. He was a top fifty player, wasn't he, in the country? Good question. Um, yeah, I, I don't I know, know he's a top he one hundred guy. Yeah, I was just looking. His final five, I believe, were like Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida State, Nebraska, UCLA. Um, yeah. So he was a pretty coveted player. Yeah. Um, I don't know in terms of his overall ranking uh, where he was, but um, I know he was like he was considered obviously a cornerback at the time. I know he's now more considered a, a slot corner or a nickel, mm-hmm. um, but he was a top five corner nationally. So I, I think I he think was top he, yeah. forty. I think he was top forty if I remember right. Twenty four. Top forty, fifty, six, even it, whatever it is. Twenty four seven sports. Yeah, twenty four seven sports. I think had him top fifty in the country nationally. Top mm-hmm. seven or eight in terms of the cornerbacks. And he played for IMG Academy in Florida his final year, even though he's from Calabasas in Southern California. Um, and he was a top ten player listed in Florida that his senior year. So if you're a top 10 player in Florida, that, that, that should tell you something. Yeah. 
He and and so a lot of people just remember him from getting some stupid penalties and things like that. Greg Biggins has been over on our site and he said you're getting a different kid. Um, he's he plays kind of on the edge, and if you can rein that in, you're going to have a really special player. So let's see let's see what it happens here over the next couple of days when he comes in. And the nice thing is we'll get we'll get. Uh, to see how he develops and, and, uh, he's, he's another talented kid to add to that, that, uh, safety or that, uh, secondary that's really, really talented right now. It's not unusual for football players and, uh, athletes to have nicknames. Bookie's kind of cool. But Scott, back in your playing days, did you have a nickname? Um, well, I went to, I, <laughs> I was, I was, they called me BC because I was from, I played at Bremerton, I, I, I went to high school at Bremerton Christian School. But I went to Bremerton High School to play football, and then I went to Central Washington for a year to play football there. And so they called me BC because I that that was it. Not uh, it, I wasn't white chocolate or anything like that. So no. And Chris Fetters on the golf course on the golf team. Did, did you have a nickname? No, not on the golf course. No. Okay. I, just... I heard it was Duff. Is that not true? Nope. Oh, okay. Never had one. Not on the golf course. <laughs> well, I have one for you, but we won't talk about that now, Scott. Oh, okay. But, uh, uh, hey, just a quick word from our sponsors. And when we return, Puka Nakua and his brother Samson in the transfer portal, and they both wind up at BYU. Ale Kaho makes another commitment into a Pac-12 school and spring football. Not that far off. We'll talk about all those when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Welcome back to Dogman Radio. I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and uh, big news this week, Puka Nakua entering the transfer portal, and it sure did not take long for him to find a landing spot, Chris Fetter. First of all, surprised that he was back in the portal. Second of all, surprised where he wound up. I, I was. I think I was a little surprised that he ended up back in the portal. I'm not it's hard because I know that the lure of, of going home and playing in front of family and, and playing with your brother. I mean, those are all huge, huge things. And it, it's certainly something that cannot be ignored. I kind of thought that when those issues first came up and whether it started out as a little bit of homesickness and turned into something else when he actually went home during one of the, one, one of the COVID breaks. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I kind of thought it was taken care of, you know, Junior Adams goes down there, you know, it, it feels like the, the fire has been kind of put out, so to speak. And, 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 and things have kind of been resolved for him to, to go back to Washington, kind of finish what he started. And then clearly um, with his brother, Samson going into the transfer portal from Utah and then um, ending up at BYU, it just almost felt at that point, and, and and he hadn't transferred to BYU at that point, but once he had entered the portal, you could kind of start to see the pieces of the puzzle come together. Um, and we know now, you know, Puka has said that it's you know it's for his mom and 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 for his family. And and I know he went on the air with Softy uh, Monday and talked a little bit about it as well. But clearly, when when you have those kind of pulls back home, those are hard to ignore. And he had a he had a rare opportunity to play again with his brother, and and I don't think anybody should begrudge him an opportunity to fulfill probably what what his family would consider a little bit of a dream. He lost his father, Scott, and I think that had a big deal with pulling that family a little tighter together. And 
you know, um, close to his mom, close to his brother and being able to play close to home and uh, in front of friends and family, I think was a big lure for him. And, you know, he reiterated on Softy Show, you know, there's nothing against UW. And he said, you know, uh, recruits out there who are looking at UW, you know, any advice to them? And he said, don't hesitate. But, you know, this truly seems like more of a family deal than just not liking it here. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Washington. This has more to do with him. And there, there's some, you know, the idiot fringe out there who will say that, you know, this, it's obviously J- Jimmy Lake has lost this program and Junior Adams is scaring people off and things like that. Jeez. Could I, I? You see stuff like that and you're just like, what? What's wrong with people? Yeah, I just <laughs> I don't get it. And I mean, Puka Nakua committed to uh, Junior Adams. I, I mean. I, I don't know what else to say about that. And, and, um, you know, Junior Adams was the one who was able to get him to come back up here, get back with his quote unquote brothers and, and spend time. And, and he was, he was in the middle of the, the, uh, winter conditioning. And then all of a sudden things started to heat up and, and, uh, he just decided, you know, I want to be closer to my mom. I want my, I want to fulfill my dad's dream of me and my brother both going to BYU. His brother, transfer putting his name in the transfer portal what what was it about two or three weeks ago whatever it was i i just i when when that happened i was like this is not good and it turns out that was the case i mean they they both are just going to go and play at byu good for them they don't have a quarterback at least that we know of but uh you know good luck good luck and I don't wish him anything, anything but good things. He also disclosed that, you know, the final game that he missed is because he did indeed have COVID. He said he was yeah. asymptomatic, but you know, and I mentioned this before, you know, you're up here and you're pretty isolated away from everybody except the football team and you're still a ways away from everybody. You're wearing the masks and then he got caught with COVID and then things are locked down even tighter uh, for him. You know, you don't go to class. I mean, you basically, you don't leave anywhere and then, when he was cleared, he went down and had some home cooking with mom, hung out with brother, and boy, just it just seemed like you know a lot more interaction and just a lot better situation being close to home. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But uh, Scott, the saga of Ale Caho, it's mm-hmm. just still out there, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm going to be real interested to see if he winds up at UCLA. That's where he, he uh, announced his commitment to, um, what, yesterday, yesterday afternoon, yesterday. whatever it was. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, good, the kid has been torn in 10 different directions by people who are supposed to love him and care about him, and, and uh, I really hope he finds some happiness. I hope his family does. Sounds like the family is still even messier than it was before. Um, and which is hard to believe because it was pretty bad before, but it's even worse now. So, um, I hope he finds some happiness down there at UCLA. I hope the only game he plays poorly is again when they play Washington. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you got to feel for the kid. I, I don't, I don't think people understand the kind of pressure this kid was being put under by his family at a young by, age, at, at a, a very young age. age. He was, I don't even, I, he was barely 18. And then just dropped off at the in the city of Seattle at, at one of the coach's doorsteps and uh, had no money, no place to stay, no food, no nothing. They had to, you know, pick things out of, you know, thin air for him and help him try and figure it out. But, uh, yeah, I, I just I feel for the kid. I hope he finds some happiness down there in Westwood. Again, this is a you know, it's easy to crap on a kid, you know, for being 
flaky and all this kind of stuff. But this is a kid I think deserves a lot of slack. It's it's hard when you're the adult, when you're the child, and uh, you know you just don't have a lot of people that you can trust and um, you know lean on for advice when you know both your mom and dad are gone and they're going through all kinds of problems and you're just kind of left to fend for yourself. Some people can thrive in that situation, but others wouldn't thrive so well. So it's hard to judge unless you've walked in those shoes before. So uh wish him the best because, I mean, you've dealt with him quite a bit, you know, when he was being recruited, Scott. I mean, he always came across as a good kid. Yeah, always did. And I didn't know his dad was the way he was. So, cause I had talked to him several times. So, it it yeah it, it's it's a terrible situation and um really no way it was going to work out well for Washington hopefully he can find something good good in this down down at uh UCLA spring ball the scheduled date to open spring ball is um, March 7th and um April 7th. April 7th. I'm getting confused here. April 7th. And, uh, you know, from discussions that we've had, sounds like we may be able to get into some practices. I don't anticipate any fans being able to get into practice, but, you know, the good news is we may be able to get in the stadium and give you guys an idea of what some guys look like and, uh, just maybe a little bit more of what they're doing out there. But, uh, they've got some early enrollees. Um, and I think the most uh, excited one I am looking forward to seeing out and see how he can play in the college atmosphere, Sam Heward, which is a real unusual situation, Chris. He's going to play three high school football games and roll at University of Washington and then uh, and then start practicing for spring ball. Uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to guess that this has never happened before. I don't know how it could. I don't know how it could happen. I mean, yeah. there's. We've never seen high school football played in the spring. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so you've got – you've already got a few guys on campus already. I mean, you've got Patrick O'Brien, that the grad transfer from Colorado State, the quarterback. And you've got uh, Kwape Hopa, who's there. And then there's one other – if I – God, who else? Uh, oh, it's Quentin Moore. Quentin Moore. Quentin Moore, the tight end, the former Inglemore star who's J.C. And so, and then they've got a few other guys that are coming in as well, like Voy Tunufi, uh, obviously Sam Heward, um, and then J- what, um, Caden Jumper is also going to be there as well, and Caleb Berry. So Caleb Berry is going to join up with his former Lufkin teammate, uh, Jalen Polk. So that'll be fun to watch too. Um, so you, you'll get a, a fair smattering of true freshmen out there as well, but certainly the spotlight's going to be all over Sam Heward and, and what he's going to be able to do. And <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting because I guarantee you he's already tried to learn some of the system that uh, John Donovan's been talking about with him for a long time, and yet he's still running the offense that Sheldon Cross is going to be running at Kennedy Catholic. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any any signals crossed or any, any mix-up or anything with that because – I've never heard of a high school kid having to play high school games and then literally like less than a week later go right into a a college situation unless we were talking about like December, beginning of January. And even then, you're still given like a month typically from like, you know, the final high school championship games are usually mid-December and then you go in to, you know, some things that are going on maybe even as early as January or February, depending on how far south you go. Because, you know, the Arizona State's already started practice. Even Cal has already started their spring ball. But you never, ever hear of high school players literally going in on, like, day's notice 
and going straight from high school to college. It's just so unique. Um, it'll be very interesting. And of course, we won't get a chance to talk to Sam about it for li- at least another year or so, if not longer. So we'll have to find out through other ways, I guess, how he's been, uh, how he's been able to deal with it. Scott, I mean, how bizarre. I, Sam Heward has been talking incessantly with John Donovan. He talks to him all the time and they're constantly diving into this offense. I mean, this isn't something that's just casual here and there. This is pretty regimented and they talk quite a bit. I just can't wrap my head around having two offenses in my head and I'm playing a game at Kennedy and all of a sudden I'm playing a call on a UW play. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and I think about that too. Now, the one thing about, uh, the, the Kennedy offense is it's a little bit more, I don't want to call it simplistic because it's not simplistic, but it's simplified for the quarterbacks, very quarterback friendly and, and, you know, he's been doing it for three and a half seasons, you know, three and a half years now. So I don't want to say he should know it like the back of his hand, but he should know it by the back of his hand, like the back of his hand. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't, my guess is he probably doesn't have, uh, he probably hasn't been as intense, um, of a study on the Husky offense as he has the, um, the uh, Kennedy offense and what he's got to get done, but I guarantee you he's got things swimming through his head for both of them. So, uh, yeah, I can't, I, I don't think that's wrong. It'll be kind of interesting to see, um, you know, what, what he looks like as a, as a player, but uh, his muscle memory is going to be all Kennedy, right? At this point, he says he's six two and he weighed in at one ninety. He wants to show up a little bit heavier. I think his goal is to get up to two hundred by fall camp, is what he said. And uh, talking to him and his dad a little bit, um, I asked him how much he's eating, and he said five times a day. I asked him what he had for dinner, and I've never heard this. I've heard never heard this answer before. He said, "Which one?" <laughs> well, I mean, you, you you remember when Michael Phelps, like his diet came out and he was eating like 15,000 calories a day? Yeah. I mean, he was having like three breakfasts. He was having two lunches and two dinners. It was crazy. I remember being out at uh, one of the camps, Scott, and Sam was just in eighth grade going into ninth grade. It was a summer going into his ninth grade year, and he was maybe 150 pounds. Maybe. Yep. You know, so he's up to 190 working out at Ford, uh, Ford Sports and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see him and that quarterback competition, you know, with Patrick O'Brien and Dylan Morris and Sam Heward all out there. Uh, definitely going to be interesting. Anything, uh, we need to touch bases with on recruiting, Scott? Any updates? Anything up? Not a lot. Um, I think you're going to start seeing some more offers go out here in the next uh, week, maybe couple weeks as, as the Husky coaches get a chance to see some of the in-state guys play. California starts their season next week, I believe. Uh, talk to a few guys down there. They're all looking forward to that. So the Husky coaches, once they can get some of these films, I think you're going to see a lot more offers go out. They're having recruiting meetings every day. Um, I know that, uh, you'll, you'll, their focus in, in April will turn to, uh, spring football, but they'll still do recruiting meetings at least three or four times a week and, you know, update guys and put guys up on boards, take them down, who's surging, who isn't, who do I, who really has stood out. So, um, I think over the next couple months, you're going to see a handful, probably, you know, up to 20 offers go out to 2022, 2023 kids. Final thoughts, Chris Fetter. Is there anything else you want to touch bases on? No, not really. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot and, and clearly, um, 
you know, Jimmy Lake is, is, is taking the portal, uh, situation seriously in terms of, of really trying to identify holes in their offense and defense and, and things that they need to, uh, and, and, and places that they need to, to, to replace bodies with. And, and obviously it's a two way street, you know, guys come and go. So it, it's become an unfortunate reality now. And it's, I think it's only going to get more and more prevalent as we go on, especially if the NCAA passes the legislation that we expect to where, Everyone's going to get kind of a, a one free pass where they're able to transfer, uh, without any loss of eligibility or, you know, have to wait. Um, they're going to get that one free opportunity to, to make a move. And if that does come to fruition, which I fully expect it will, then that will kind of open the floodgates a little bit, a little more than it already has. And so people should get ready for movement. There's going to be, uh, definitely guys coming and going and, uh, I think with Washington, the way they have it set up with Built for Life and, and, and that, and those programs probably going to handle attrition a little bit better than a lot of other schools. But even so, there are going to be guys coming and going. And I think it's just something that people are going to have to get used to. Just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will hook you up. We're about to get busy again. I think it's going to be an active off-season for basketball, spring football coming up, and uh, official visits and uh, recruiting. I think there's a lot coming up in the next couple of months, so just stay tuned here at dogman.com. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. (laughs) 